Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new year and a new season of Pod Have Mercy. We're going to hear plenty of new voices and hopefully help you find new ideas and language for wherever you are in your own faith journey. To kick off this season, I talk with writer and blogger Tracy Rhodes. You can find her writing at tracesoffaith.com, and she has a great book called Not All Who Wander Spiritually Are Lost. She's been using her talent as a writer to explore and celebrate the family of Christian expressions, seeing beauty in the diverse ways and traditions we worship in. I talked with her about her writing Ash Wednesday and Lent and her encouragement for spiritual wanderers. Hope you enjoy. Hi there, Tracy. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me today. Hey, no problem. Can you start off by just telling me a little bit more about your background? Because I know that you have written a lot, even a whole book. Um, But for all the folks who may not have heard of you before, uh, who've not seen your wonderful presence on Twitter, can you uh, fill us all in Mm. about who you are and your writing and all that good, great stuff. Absolutely. Um, I actually am a communication major. So spent some time in marketing and public relations. So did some kind of formal writing there. And mm-hmm. when I um, it was about 2013, I started doing some things for our women's ministry at my local church and started writing more devotional style pieces. And I always say it was like a part of me woke up, like it it was always good to write. But when I started writing about my faith, when I started writing um, personal narrative like that, when I started writing about scripture, it it all kind of came to life. Um, In 2014, I started my own blog online. It's tracesoffaith.com. And Traces of Faith was kind of a spin off of my name, Tracy. But also I wanted, I knew I would be writing about faith. And so the original tagline was finding faith in your everyday. And so I um, wrote about all of these different stories about the local church, about parenting, about motherhood. And I probably wasn't six months in before I realized that what I was most passionate about writing and what my audience responded to the most was when I wrote about church. Um, started reading uh, other blogs, you know, as you will do whenever you enter the blogosphere. And I would read about all of these other church experiences that were different than my own. I grew up Southern Baptist, um, attended a non-denominational church for a while, a Presbyterian church, and currently attend a Reformed church. So similarities across the board, some differences, but pretty similar styles. And I started reading about um, church calendar. I started reading about uh, this, this group of people called Orthodox Christians who I had never even heard of. Um, and honestly, I got jealous because I felt like they might be encountering Jesus in a way that I had not And I wanted um, that for myself. I wanted all of Jesus that I could find 
And so I started visiting different churches. The first um, service that I attended that was completely different for me uh, kind of ties into our conversation today. It was Ash Wednesday, 2015. And such a moving experience. Um, the piece that I wrote for that particular Ash Wednesday actually became the introduction in my book. Um, and I didn't set out to necessarily write a book. I set out to talk about faith with a little bigger audience than my local church. And pretty much between that time of 2014 and 2018, got a pretty solid book idea. Um, and the, the book that came out of that is a memoir of sorts. Um, it tells the story of my church experience from birth um, to present day. Mm -hmm. And it includes so many of these churches that I visited. It also um, invites 16 of my friends to tell a piece of their church story. Um, I knew if I was going to talk about the broader church, I would need to include um, Catholics. There's a Lutheran, there's a Coptic Orthodox, mm -hmm. an Eastern Orthodox, a Pentecostal. Um, and so all of these individuals were willing to share their essays too. And time and again, I've heard that it's um, a stronger book because of it. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I often say I wrote my way into what I'm writing about, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Um, because I, I, I've read your, I've read your posts, read your book. I, I, I love uh, the ability to communicate through different church expressions and different traditions. And I, I wonder what are, like, what can we what can we really enjoy between each other? What can, what have you found to be really refreshing, especially in a time where we're really bad at communicating our, our differences or we're communicating across our differences. What are some things that you found really refreshing in not only, you know, talking about the church between different, denominations but all of these different expressions that you know maybe even you know for folks coming from small town montana like myself who've never even heard of uh but to talk about an experience with others how have you found that really refreshing especially in this this super polarized time what i have discovered is that a lot of the reason why i wasn't exploring and didn't want, didn't want to do too much outside of my bubble was because I was fearful. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think fear drives a lot mm. of our faith exploration. Um, and it can go anywhere from semi-funny, I was afraid I might become Catholic if I did Catholic things, to more <laughs> serious. Um, there are people that are fearful. They'll, they'll lose their faith. Or they'll be taken down a path that is, um, you know, some odd version of Christianity that Christ would not be pleased with. And what I found again and again was that, yes, the differences exist, mm -hmm. but, but they are, um, they're much mm -hmm. smaller than we think. 
a lot of times what I thought was a um, Catholic theology, as I understood it, I could see pieces of my own theology in it. Um, I, I think what has happened is that we have been fed a lot of um, information. And, and, you know, I go back and I try to think of where, I don't necessarily think it was from the pulpit. I think it's just from people talking to people. Um, I, you know, in the, in the book, I reference the fact that I believed that Catholics worshiped Mary and got drunk at the Knights of Columbus Hall. Those were the two things that I thought meant Catholic, <laughs> which is terrible because oh, yeah. the first few times I went to mass, um, it, I, th I think mm -hmm. most, I think every time I was on my own. So I just entered um, this space that immediately felt sacred. And that particular Ash Wednesday that I referenced in 2015, when the priest would go forward with the ashes and, and present them at the altar, there was so much silence incorporated into the service. And I, as I share the story, mm -hmm. I, I wept because to sit in that sacred space and to have that silence was nothing I had ever experienced. Um, like I say, I grew up in very, very um, common ground church services and there's never silence. You know, we go from song one to song two to prayer. If there's silence, oh, it's yeah. because someone missed their cue and they're going to be in trouble Monday morning. Um, and so that idea of <laughs> silence, gosh, I bet you for three years, it intrigued me. There was a period of time where I used to just want to go to a church midweek, not for service. Um, at the time, mm -hmm. I, our ch my church that I attend was meeting in the middle school. And so that would not have been a good midweek place <laughs> mm -hmm. to, to be. Um, I did find out the local Catholic church is open for prayer. But what I ended up doing was going to uh, Antiochian Orthodox Church. Uh, it's about 35 minutes from my home mm -hmm. and they have a midweek service on Wednesdays at mm -hmm. 11, if I remember correctly. And so I would just sit, you know, so much of it I didn't understand um, because the Orthodox mm -hmm. in particular being more of an Eastern Christianity doesn't feel much like what I'm familiar with at all to whereas Catholics, I can slide in a little mm -hmm. bit. Right. Um, <clears throat> but loved it again, main, mainly for the silence. Um, the Orthodox are the ones that taught me about the Jesus prayer. Um, it's a prayer that mm -hmm. uh, the gentlemen pray in, in this gospel story of Matthew. Um, the, there's a Pharisee and then there's a humble man and the two are praying and the Pharisee, of course, you know, when saw the attention for his prayers and the common man um, says, simply, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that Jesus prayer has been incorporated mm -hmm. into the Orthodox faith. And the first time I went to the service um, on a Wednesday after, you know, Wednesday, late morning, one of the things that we did in that service was say that Jesus prayer 42 times in a row. And I, you know, in my 
in my mind, I'm still whirling. I'm like, mm-hmm. how do we know it's 42? Is somebody counting? Like, you know, whatever. Um, but they liken it to a breath prayer. And so technically you're supposed to Lord Jesus Christ, exhale, inhale, have mercy on me, you know? Um, and it's all about writing your focus on Christ. And again, something completely different than anything I'd ever encountered. And I have used it since, um, I, I find it especially comforting whenever, I am distraught, you know, sometimes when even prayer eludes us Mm -hmm. because of sorrow or tragedy or fear, um, that prayer can naturally come into my mind and certainly feel like a breath, you know, finally taking that deep breath that my body needs. So that's, that's been a real gift that I have discovered. One of many. That's great. That's great to hear. Um, speaking about new things that we've discovered, um, I think for a lot of people who have observed Ash Wednesday before or have observed Lent or have been in church, we're, we're learning how to do church differently now. And Ash Wednesday is a part of learning how to do things differently now. Um, so how, how has Ash Wednesday kind of changed for you, especially in this, this time where we're at a distance from everyone. Yeah, actually, what two days ago now, um, our church did their first Ash Wednesday service ever. Again, we're of the wow. Reformed tradition. And mm-hmm. what I have found that I like about the Reformed tradition is that there's room for any of it. You can have Reformed churches that offer a very high liturgy. You can um, mm-hmm. have Reformed churches that are much more contemporary in style. And so um, to suggest an Ash Wednesday service is not mind, completely mind blowing like it would be in some places. Um, And so we did an Ash Wednesday service and we, we have been meeting for a few months. We wear our masks into the sanctuary and then we are set Mm -hmm. up in chairs uh, as opposed to pews. And so we're able to distance with Mm -hmm. just our family so we wear our mask in and then we take our masks Mm -hmm. off during the service and sit with our family units and so ash wednesday was very similar to that um when we got up to actually receive the ashes we went to two different stations and the tables um, were set up with a mirror and Mm -hmm. a person handed us a q-tip that had a dampened ash on it. And so we gave, we marked ourselves, which is different than your traditional mm-hmm. Ash Wednesday service. And then we were encouraged to look in the mirror Oh wow! to just further reflect on the fact that, um, that we're in need of a savior, you know, was basically the theme of the night. Um, and I wrote a prayer of confession, um, very, more high liturgy. I, you know, looked at some samples from the Mm -hmm. book of common prayer and I have a Coptic Orthodox prayer book as well. So I wrote um, from scripture, a prayer confession, but then my pastor is very evangelistic in nature. And so he gave his um, portion of the talk that evening sermon, if you will, um, off the cuff. (laughs) And then we have our worship minister who um, played acoustic guitar with a pianist 
mm-hmm. and we sang two or three praise and worship songs that we've been singing regularly. So we're very familiar. Um, and then when we took um, communion at the end, we had um, the plastic cups mm-hmm. that I used as a Southern Baptist little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't pass the trays of the communion cups. We um, took them off. Uh, one of the elders would put them at the edge of the table and we walked and got one of those and got the um, unleavened bread. And then we sat down to take it. So um, again, a different way than what we have typically done in regular times. And at the end of the evening, it just struck me. Um, there were parts of it that felt very, typically I have done Ash Wednesday with the Catholic mm-hmm. church. Um, so there are parts of it that maybe kind of seem like that, but then there were parts of it that felt very much like my own church. Yeah. Um, and I, I just thought to myself and I, um, it, it speaks so much to where I am these days that works Mm -hmm. like, like God was happy with that effort and God knew that our hearts were in each part of that service, even though it maybe wasn't a hundred percent traditional, nor was it a hundred percent contemporary. I I use the word worship fusion (laughs) and and I let that play in my mind a lot because One thing that's very different about my book compared to others that people have read about exploring other traditions is that I don't have a desire to leave. I'm happy in my local church. Um, We serve there. It's a good, healthy church. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have um, learned so much from the Reformed tradition. And so often the books that you read are about someone who grew up you know, maybe evangelical and now they're going to be Anglican or, you know, they convert to orthodoxy. Um, and that's not my experience. I don't, I'm not looking for a new place. I'm looking for more. And that's, um, that's what that service spoke to as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the home we're at, it can be refreshing to hear different people celebrating their spaces and that helps us realize some of the beauty in our own thinking about ash wednesday uh i remember uh last year after an ash wednesday service i had to go to the grocery store um so i i I go our our church is right down the street from a grocery store so i'm i'm freshly marked going in uh, picking up groceries, and I, I hear in this this crowd, it's a girl probably probably like six or seven years old, uh, go, Daddy, what's he got in his head? <laughs> Shout it, <laughs> and I and I think about that because um, this is much more scaled back this year, um, yeah. and I think for a lot of folks there has been this this feeling that going beyond the regular calendar, the regular church calendar year of Lent um, pandemic has felt like a long time with that. Um, And Ash Wednesday, of course, is a a day to really remember sort of some of that solemnity. But on the other hand, does Ash Wednesday have to be a sad day can 
Ash Wednesday, or does it feel like it can also be a, a, a refreshing day for you? Yeah, I know um, one of the things that I really noted about the difference in how we did the service was that, and partly it's my pastor's heart for the gospel for evangelizing. We did not spend mm-hmm. long on the need for repentance, um, on the need for reflection on our mortality, on our sins. He right away again and again took us to the gospel. Um, my, mm-hmm. my prayer of confession right away took us to turning our face to God and realizing we're baptized with Christ, we're in Christ. Um, so yeah, you know, yeah. the times may speak a lot to that. Um, I've seen it again and again on uh, Twitter and other social media. We've been living Lent for a year. Why are we going to do it for 40 days now? You know, and one of the questions that you sent Mm. me ahead of time, I loved the idea of it because you asked, can Lent be funny and joyful? Like, Mm -hmm. can, can we frolic in Lent? And of course, a Protestant's answer is going to be absolutely. You can do anything you want, right? Because we're in Christ, <laughs> freedom in Christ. But I do, what I have loved about Lent and what I have loved about mm-hmm. Advent, um, I, I'm very new to the church calendar, maybe five years in. And mm-hmm. for me, Easter was always maybe a weekend, maybe. You know, Friday, we might have the day off of school. Sunday, we had sunrise service and the men made pancakes and then we'd had church service and it was done. And these Mm -hmm. 40 days set a much different rhythm for an individual's life. Um, And, you know, the 40 days are likened to Jesus' time in the wilderness and to the... um, 40 years in the, of the exodus in the wilderness. And I can't find funny and joyful in that. I was trying, but what mm-hmm. I will say is I don't, I think you can determine based on your own walk with Christ, how heavy it needs to be. I felt very mm-hmm. drawn this year to poetry for my mm-hmm. uh, reflection time during Lent, I think poetry points more to beauty rather than sackcloth <laughs> and ashes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, it's still somber, but I think the somber, 40 days of somber, boy, are you ready to party when Resurrection Sunday comes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think oh, yeah. the fasting and the praying and the giving of alms, all those things that are associated with Lent make that feasting all the more. And I don't think we want to take away from that. I think more than anything, we need those, you know, we need a wedding, right? We need a, um, yeah. we need a birthday party. We need a resurrection Sunday um, and it's coming. So, uh, yeah, I get it. I mean, we're definitely in a time where it's different. You know, I was talking with a friend on the phone the other day, and that's those are the exact words we used. Everything just feels heavy. Everybody knows someone who's yeah. sick, um, someone who is, you know, suffering the loss of a loved one, 
um, we, we had a couple of people within our church that are really struggling with um, non-COVID related illnesses. Uh, so we, we're praying mm-hmm. hard and heavy and getting regular updates. Some are good, some are bad on those families. It's heavy. Um, mm-hmm. But poetry is beautiful. Um, scripture is beautiful. Prophecies are amazing. Uh, so I, I think mm-hmm. there are still things that can feel like Lent, but don't drag us down. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. Well, I'm an English major, so I'm I'm interested uh, in in what poems are really resonating with you right now. Yeah, I, I'm going to show it. Be- okay, and we can link to it. Maybe that's usually sure. Um, and, and I don't know how to say his name. He's on Twitter, Malcolm Gite. Malcolm, he's an okay. English um, Anglican, mm-hmm. and. This whole book uh, is on 70 sonnets for the Christian year. And so, again, you still, um, the other one that I pulled is uh, Kathleen Norris, who, Montana guy, you, uh, you may oh, be yeah. familiar. She wrote Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a, um, I guess you'd call her a memoirist. I don't know if they're nonfiction or, uh, or what, but she has a book of poetry. And they're all very church-related. Mm-hmm. Um, they speak to the particular season that we're in. And so I still feel like it's a religious reading, if you will. Yeah. Um, but, but beautiful. That's great. So yeah. when, when we, I think we kind of touched on it with how people kind of want the wedding. We want to, we, we've, we've been living in this kind of extended season in the church calendar. Maybe I, I, I want to know, with the rhythm of the liturgical calendars with those practices and with feasts and rituals how have those really resonated you in it in a time where we're kind of having to practice church in our homes and in times very separate from the the regular gathering that we have to to celebrate and to worship together. How has the calendar and different practices uh, helped you out in this time where we're, we're all a little bit more separate? Yeah. Well, one thing that has been abundantly clear is my time in scripture has become even more rich. Mm -hmm. Um, I I feel like it is such a bomb for uh, whatever maybe troubling, you know, our minds or our hearts. I just, um, I, I fall in head over heels for scripture um, and the mm-hmm. God that I see there. Um, and, it, you know, I remember the first time that our family, we didn't go back to um, church in person until ju- late July. So almost August. And so from March to July, we um, had church at home. And I want to say April or May, our church takes communion every third Sunday. And in Mm -hmm. April or May, they, you know, made these big announcements and gave us instructions for us to do communion at home uh, on Mm -hmm. our own. I'll never forget that, you know, um, to be able to, my, my husband makes uh, mead. I don't know if you know what it is. It's a honey wine. 
And so that's um, what we had as our communion wine, um, you know, dinner rolls for the bread. So it wasn't anything fancy. Um, but to take that together and to sit at our own table and do that, um, those are opportunities we wouldn't have created for ourselves, um, but, but they're very special. I definitely treasure them. And then the times um, this summer, because we were able to meet outside, we did have Bible study. The women, um, I teach a women's Bible study on Wednesday nights and the women would bring their camping chairs and we would distance ourselves, you know, and do everything that we needed to. Some women still leave their masks on, which is totally fine. I was so glad to be back in Bible study and to just yeah. have a conversation about scripture um, with those women again. And so I think when you can do something that's semi-normal, you appreciate it even more yeah. than you did before. We're mm -hmm. not taking anything for granted, right? Um, so yeah, I think this time has gifted us with that. As far as the rhythm of the church, what I appreciate the most about the rhythm hasn't changed at all in the pandemic. And it's just the fact that I am observing things that Christians around the world observe. Yeah, It has given me a much bigger picture of church than I've ever had before. It goes well beyond America. Um, I, I get so, I have a number of, um, I know I have some friends in Australia and Europe, um, some in Canada on Twitter. And I love that, you know, I, and mm -hmm. I love, I try so hard to at least somewhat follow the Orthodox calendar because they follow the Julian calendar which is different um, than us. Mm -hmm. And so nothing thrills me more than to remember my, my brothers and sisters in the Orthodox church are celebrating divine liturgy today or not. Um, Pas Pashka, Pasha is that their Easter is called Pashka. And it's like a month later, three weeks. It's, it all varies. Yeah. Um, but again, just uh, more and more and more out of myself, out of my little local church, certainly out of my denomination. Um, and the pandemic doesn't change that. If anything, it's made it better because I've done all of these virtual services, right? A lot of us have. Um, Christmas mm -hmm. Eve, I think I attended four different services, completely different styles. Yeah. Because I could, you know, um, one mm -hmm. was my own. And so um, hidden blessings, right? Uh things that we maybe wouldn't have realized the pandemic would give us, but they have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I want to know sort of what would you, how would you encourage for a lot of people who are especially younger, younger folks like me who have been kind of burnt out or have, or have felt hurt by the church? How could you, how could you offer these folks something who are, kind of who want to explore new traditions or expressions um especially this the season like ash wednesday and lent which are pretty heavy but they are they're really i think healing seasons to be in how what would you offer sort of an encouragement for folks who maybe want to uh spiritually wander to tie in to your own yeah. writing yeah. Well, 
the biggest advice, and I'll give it all day long, hopefully for all my days, is eyes on Jesus. Um, mm. It's the church that hurts us, and it's the individuals in the church. Gosh, I, you know, I, t- I said earlier, I have a healthy church. I could tell what would be wrong. You know, we, we've handled some things wrong. I've handled some things wrong. Um, so, so not to ever belittle the hurt that people have mm-hmm. experienced. Gosh, some people, such tragedies. Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. He just doesn't. He's so loving. And, you know, I, I think about this a lot. If, if an evangelical church who you feel like is too political or you feel like is too, you know, all these buzzwords that we hear, go visit the Quakers they won't talk to you at all for 60 minutes. You know, it's they true. have si- they have silent unprogrammed services. Mm-hmm. God does a lot of his best work in the silence. Be you know, be still and know I am God, right? We're not we're not still very often. <laughs> um it, you you can visit a mass with the Catholics or a divine liturgy with the orthodox. They're always glad to have me, always. And I I would almost assure you that they'll be glad to have you too. And you can just kind of be anonymous, but still sit in that sacred, um, those moments. Um, they say, uh, our father, Mm -hmm. uh, the Lord's prayer. So you'll be able to chime in at least once. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I'll never forget one time I was at, uh, a mass in a little town that we vacation at in Northern Michigan. And the final song was Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. And I thought an Anglican, right, from England, probably had great animosity with the Catholics. But here we are. And that's where I go again and again. I'm not going to let the unfortunate history from 500 years ago mm-hmm. dictate who my brothers and sisters are because in a prayer, the final prayer that Jesus prayed in John, he asked the father that we would be one as they are one. Mm -hmm. And that trumps history in my book. That was Jesus prayer. I don't think we focused on it enough. Mm -hmm. Um, People are so quick to pick out what, what we're different about. And honestly, some people don't even know they've just been told we're different. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, okay, we have differences on atonement. How many people really, really know what that means if we're going to go into a, you know, finite discussion? And so I would encourage people who are disillusioned with the church to realize they've only seen a glimpse of a part of the church right? If we're the body of Christ, they've maybe seen the ear, check out the arm, check out the leg, check out, you know, Mm -hmm. it's huge. It is huge. Church history. um, We have not, that hasn't come up in this conversation. It has helped me a lot because we've been a mess from day one. Yeah. We have never, we've always brought together very different people. We've never gotten along. We um, have always, uh, 
fought <laughs> with one another, you know, her heresies in the um, early centuries, et cetera, et cetera. These times, you know, nothing's new under the sun. Ecclesiastes tells us that. Um, <laughs> and again, not to belittle it, because if you're the one that was hurt, that counts. You That, that hurts. Mm -hmm. Jesus can heal it. And if you separate yourself mm -hmm. from the body of Christ, the church, it's going to take longer. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus can still find you. He can still do it. And it's, you know, if, if you need some time, I think that's okay too. You and God can do that work. Um, but that's, that would be my biggest encouragement. Find, uh, find something so totally different that you're not even able to focus on what might be triggering you or what, you know, might've upset you in another place because church is that big. Yeah. Well, on that note, thank you so much for joining me tonight, thank Tracy. You. Yeah. I enjoyed it very much. Hi, you just listened to Pod Have Mercy, a podcast hosted by me, Jackson Davey, and produced by myself and Christ in St. Luke's Episcopal Church here in Norfolk, Virginia. If you like this episode and want to hear more, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share this with your friends and leave a review. For all of us here, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.